Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. The cold has hit here in Michigan, and we are frozen solid. Oh, no, yeah, it is really – I don't like it. I had you to do my first sn- drive in, yeah. like, miserable, snowy, slushy, stupid roads going, like, 25, wondering if I'm going to die or if this is going to be the time when someone hits my 2004 Toyota Corolla and it's the end of it for all eternity. You know, it, it takes me back, though, and I think when the winter hits every year, I always have this happen, even more so than, like, Halloween. You always get nostalgic on Halloween, but uh, – it's kind of the time that, you know, when we started doing this show, it takes me back to those old days of us going out and like taking our cameras out and our recorders in the dead of winter and going to cemeteries and walking around and just freezing ourselves. And then every death. photo you take, you took you had, got, had you your got, breath in it. You got your breath in and it. And you yeah. thought it was a ghost. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but it was fun, you know, yeah. and you'd, you'd go somewhere, yeah. you, you, you'd go and have hot chocolate or coffee and, and chill out and hang and you know it may have been productive in the long run but it was a great way to start doing stuff and that was so long ago now but this cold always kind of brings that back to me mm. i think it's nah, it just makes me think of spring well i, just, I, I don't i'm I not saying i like the, the cold itself i get but. so excited to see my the temperature go from 49 to 50 it's, that's a big 50. jump. That's a big jump. It feels tropical when that happens because it's been like 11 and 13 degrees, and yeah, then you add some wind it's in like there. 15 degrees today. And then it's it negative numbers. So, yeah. anyway, I got a question for you. Oh, God. What? Hair, is there anything that you're superstitious about? Are there? Is there a superstition a, that you've you practice that no, you don't I guess realize? I, I don't know, man. I, I... Will you walk under a ladder? Yeah. Will you think? Bad thoughts if you see a black cat cross the street? Not really. Will you pick up a penny if it's heads down? No. Uh, yeah, I don't care. So there's like nothing. I, I'm Well, I'm no, you got me thinking like, as I know there's some stuff that I am super, I, like I know the band, this this is a funny one. I mean, maybe I'll just, I'll just deviate from myself because this is the first thing I thought about actually. Tony from our band, mm-hmm. from my band, Stare, Thousand Yard Stare, um, he does not like to practice with the band the night before a show. Oh. He's superstitious about it. He's like, we play, we practice the night before a show. We're going to play like crap. Oh. He's superstitious about that. Okay. Which I just find very bizarre because he don't care about anything generally. The guy, you know him. He's just so huh. laid back. You don't really care about much. Yeah. But that's when he's like, he's dead. Like, no, we're not practicing the night before that's, a show. That's like a lot of people who have pre-game uh, superstitions like with hockey or any other sport they might play. I, I guess, you know, one of my superstitions is I try... To not, well, here's a good one. I, you know, I, I've started practicing this one because of you. It's always that one, the Sunday afternoon superstition that I have, where I always make the announcement because I, I try to relax as much as possible oh. these days, and I will go to you on a Sunday morning and say, okay, I am going to work out. Oh, I'm going to go grocery shopping, get yeah. food in the house, and then I am not doing a thing the rest of the day. I'm gonna it is relax. My time. And I and you always yell at me about that, which I have started practicing. That stuff always happens. You're like you're like you know it's you like said you it jinx now. Yourself. You jinx yourself. Yeah, like, you jinx yourself. All of a sudden, every single one of your parents' computers, tablets, blows and up. TVs blows up. Yeah, yeah, and then they can't find their password because and I spend the rest of the day trying to fix it. Yeah, yeah. So that's a superstition. The, I, guess, I guess I'm yeah, starting I guess to practice that's now. Kind of a new one. It's a new one. It's a brand because new because there does seem to be a correlation between you saying that and weird stuff happening. Yeah, I mean, I've always like by you saying that tells the universe to summon horrible things. Well, just just working in the what I do for a living, I always tell people because you'll get people that like to like 
exclaim how happy they are and how well things are going all the time. And maybe that's just my really crappy attitude I have towards things now. But when I hear people do that, I'm like, would you just please shut up? Because as soon as you start talking like that, something is going to go you, horribly wrong. Do you ever see something and think it's a sign or an omen? Absolutely. Like what? I had something happen. Something. I mean, I can't tell you what it really is, but I think I told you this the other day, uh, a couple nights ago, I had a dream. I had a I slept. I, t- I went down and I slept a lot of hours. I, that's, I'm doing that more nowadays. I'm getting but, older and I sleep. I had, no, I think this is an omen. I think this was something that I don't, well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, something that predicts something or, or sh- foreshadows something either positive or negative. Like you said, you had a dream that there was a house and then you just went on a walk later and you happened to walk past that house. <laughs> like, I guess. I mean, but I didn't think about it, though. That's not very exciting. I, I saw that house in my dream. I'm, I saw a house in my dream with a bunch of palm trees around it. And it's like it's like in the same neighborhood that our house is, which we already said it's all covered in snow. Yeah. We don't have palm trees here no. in Michigan, just in case you don't know that. But I, I saw that house in my dream. And it just was that I went. I don't normally go out and walk that much. You know, I, I took a walk on, on Monday or yesterday. And... Um, I just it just kind of hit me as I walked by there. I said, "Oh wow, I that's the house I saw in my dream." Hmm. Maybe it is some kind of premonition. I don't know, but you're maybe, talking you're talking about an omen, maybe, right? Maybe yeah, maybe something's going to happen with the people in that house. So now we have to pay attention to See, that. See, I house. have a whole bunch of things. I mean, I I am I guess I'm really Let's superstitious because I always have those little things that happen like I'll I'll have some big decision going on or something's hap- something's happening. Something'll happen and I go that's a good omen. That's a bad omen. Usually See, it's a bad omen. and this is the thing. I don't think people realize sometimes how much they employ superstition or little bits of folk magic into their life. And so um, tonight we had on Corey Thomas Hutchinson. Yeah. And he is a researcher of North American folk magic. Folk ma- He's a folklorist. Uh, he's got a PhD in it. Um, and this book is ginormous yeah that thing's, uh, yeah you, you, this you is showed me that i'm like whoa from llewellyn because we were lucky That's to be some gifted work. some great stuff from llewellyn recently and had yeah, some thank amazing you, um, thank you very amazing much authors on the yeah. show and gave us great content so this is so exciting llewellyn but, llewellyn books yeah which i i adore i've always com. liked it and they're not paying us unless they Payments and books. Well, that's fine. Well, that's <laughs> I truly do adore. 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 It's a form of currency for Amber. <laughs> books. But I do adore that yeah. publisher. But I, I want to pull a few things uh, from Corey's book that if in case you were to suddenly see someone cut and bleeding, imagine that you could have the power to stop it just with by reciting a Bible verse. Do you think that could happen? No. Okay. Well, in his book, he has different chapters and little things where you can, he calls it dirt under the nails. And they're little segments of the book where you can put some folk magic to work. And so the next time you see someone cut and bleeding, you can use Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 6, which says, And when I passed by you and saw you polluted in your blood, I said unto you while you were in your blood, Live! Yay, I said unto you while you were in your blood, live. Could you imagine just randomly like being somewhere and you're cut and someone grabs your arm and starts saying that? And then you do like the sign of the cross over it three times and, you know, What about Austin 316? I don't know what that one is. Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin. No, no, no. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of folk magic in America that combines a lot of Bible stuff. 
like the powwows in Pennsylvania, yeah. which uh, Corey talks about in his new book. Um, I don't know. It's cool. I just I read that Bible verse and I just thought of what it would be like to have someone just all of a sudden reciting that over me and like, okay, is or this going to work? Me out, I tell you that. Corey Thomas Hutchison is from Central Pennsylvania and he is the co-host of the popular podcast New World Witchery. He has a doctorate in American studies with specializations in folklore, religion, and ethnicity from Penn State. He is a contributor to the Oxford Handbook of American Folklore and Folklife Studies and American Myths, Legends, and Tall Tales, and he has written for popular occult publications, including Witches and Pagans. Enjoy our show with Corey Thomas Hutchison. Hutchinson has studied magic and folklore for two and a half decades. His new book is New World Witchery, a trove of North American folk magic, and we are going to talk about all kinds of cool topics on this episode because this is one of my favorite topics. I know we're going to kind of go a little bit all over the place because... Um, it's what we do here. Yeah, it's what we do. And and Corey's a pretty smart dude. He's got mm. a PhD in this topic. So I think he can probably talk about the dictionary of, of this. Like it's uh, mm. so. Welcome to the show, Coy. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. I am Yay. glad to be here. Excited to talk spooky stuff. Yes. It's good. I love that. I I do because because folklore is so ingrained within ghost lore and well ghost lore folklore. It mm-hmm. it's that's why it's one of my favorite things because when I first got into researching ghosts and haunted places, you start learning about the folklore or the ghost lore basically that is behind a haunted location and then mm-hmm. learn something. Maybe there's something like true about it. Maybe you find why it kind of gets spread the way it does, why people continue to talk about it, uh, yeah. how they do, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I just love. And I know we've talked about that a lot on the show, but I've been interested in this kind of stuff since I was a little kid. And I know you have too, but so how, how did you become fascinated though by folklore so much so that you, you know, you, were, wanted to spend the time and money on a doctorate <laughs> degree with a folklore emphasis. No, fair, fair enough, right? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've been fascinated by you know anything having to do with you know things being a little out of out of the ordinary uh, since I was in the single digits, uh, really. Uh, you know, I was the kid that really loved you know UFO document. Uh, you know, you, you know the Time Life series. Yes, the I had. Oh yep. man, whole, yeah, yeah, yep. okay. When those commercials would come on TV, I oh. was like oh. locked in, right? Yep. <laughs> um, and then, like, if I could get them to my library, I was, yep. I was going through them. Like, you know, what? How many UFOs have been, you know, where I am right now? It's just constantly thinking stuff like that. And I was also really captivated by, and this, you know, tells you what kind of, you know, nine year old I was, but really uh, captivated by like those classic universal horror films. So, like the Lon Chaney's The Wolfman. Um, I really liked, you know, the old Carla Frankenstein and the um, uh, Lugosi Dracula and all these like old classic horror films. Um, so, I'd be watching those. And funnily enough, like uh, the school library where, where I uh, was going, they had this, these like companion books to all the universal horror films. And I would, 
go and check those out because I was fascinated by these monsters. I was fascinated by kind of this weird stuff. And what was neat was they those books would have sort of summaries of the movie and back, you know, behind the scenes stuff, but then they also have all this folklore that was attached to it. So you'd find out about like these, you know, weird werewolf rituals that people would do in the middle ages to try to become lycanthropes and things like that. Um, and that kind of cued me into this idea of like, huh, there's this whole other side to this. That's not just sort of a fun story where, where there's kind of a very strong reality to it, or um, at least something that people take very seriously. And, um, you know, at that point I'm just, I'm hooked in and I'm like, yes, I just want to do this for, for forever. And I kind of have, so that, that's how it's been. I love that. It's like the kid that says, I'm going to study dinosaurs when I grow up and you like, you did it. You're you studying, did it. You're, yeah. did it. <laughs> you're studying yeah. the dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny because I really wanted to be a marine biologist when I was a kid, but I think that's because there were lots like amazingly creepy sea, deep sea creatures. <laughs> so this is the next best thing. <laughs> so I, another thing that I connected with you on when I was reading your book was how when you were teaching English in the Czech Republic and mm-hmm. we're just kind of transfixed by the magic that seems to be over in Europe mm-hmm. and how like everything is just I, I've been to England and Scotland and when you when I went there it's like everything is old mm-hmm. so much older than North America everything has a ghost everything's haunted everything has a legend a story the, uh, just you feel it there and and i know you said something in in the book about coming home and just feeling like the magic was still there it wasn't mm-hmm. here and as i've been researching i've been interested in like witchcraft and magic and fo- and and folk magic and stuff since i was like a little kid i was like mm-hmm. you i was that kid that was going into the library looking for little spell books and anything on the occult and uh, you mm-hmm. know anything like that and checking it out and I always felt the same way. Like, there's no magic here. There's nothing cool. There's there's not even cool ghosts here. Like, they're all over in, you know, somewhere else in castles. Mm-hmm. And so when you kind of made that connection with folk magic being alive and well in North America, and especially there was a quote I pulled out that I really liked about uh, not feeling like the magic is, okay, wait, wait, magic is everywhere, which means magic is here. I really like that mm-hmm. from the book, but Thank I, you. I have the same, I had that same feeling. So I was, it was interesting reading that from you and I, I don't know. I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny because it took me going away to, like you said, to the Czech Republic and spending time there and just being, you know, kind of a kid in a candy store with kind of the wonder of, of, of that place and how, I mean, they have, you know, I spent time, I went to Kutnahora, which is this town that has a, a bone church, right? A church oh. that's sort of constructed out of bones and stuff like that. And like that kind of stuff very quickly makes you feel like, wow, this is really an enchanted, you know, haunted landscape. But then I come home and I'm sort of looking around, like you said, and it's sort of like, oh, wait, that's, that's here too. And it's ridiculous. I grew up in the South. Um, so it is ridiculous that I, I never looked around because the South <laughs> is like, friggin haunted (laughs) yeah from from wall to wall like there are ghosts and there are spirits and there are all kinds of unusual stories circulating everywhere and it's the whole southern gothic thing right like um so so absolutely it's it's ridiculous that it took me that long to find it but i'm so glad that when i came back i was like oh that's what i've been looking for (laughs) well you know it, it makes me think too and I'm going to quote Tony Soprano, actually, oh. <laughs> of all people. Well, no, it's something, It's a, you know, and I'm a big Sopranos fan. It's, it's, a, it's a line that he said from that series. It stuck with me. It, very briefly, um, he was offered a lot of money for a building that he owned, right? And he turned it down, and the lady's like, well, why'd you want, would you not want to buy this building from us? It's a lot of money. Or sell this building to us. It's a lot of money. He's like, well, 
He's like, this is my old neighborhood. And he's like, everything in America just kind of looks the same now to me. He's like, everything's just all the same, the same company, same everything. He's like, this is this place and this building and this neighborhood has its own individuality. And I think about that. That's what popped in my head kind of when you mentioned when you guys mm-hmm. were talking about this idea of how the magic still seems to be in these places in Europe. Right. Because mm-hmm. maybe they've not. And that's my theory or my idea, I guess, would be that maybe it's because they're not altered. Right. I mean, or, or they're mm-hmm. not knocked down. I mean, I, I know we're, from, we're from, you know, from the Detroit area here. And mm-hmm. I've been saying, I said this for a long time that we, and I don't run the city, I don't do anything, but um, it's one of the things I say that they Detroit, the, the Detroit people down there, whoever's in charge, have just destroyed a lot of the history down there. They leveled a lot of buildings, so the, the Hudson's building, for example. There's a lot of history that they just kind of removed, and I'm like, well, and and now it all does look, kind of look the same, right? Well, I, I get so what you mean. So it's that idea. I mean, just yeah. maybe that's where the and maybe that magic you 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 lose that magic when you remove those structures. Well, the, for the sake of progress, like there's maybe more in the United States that gets kind of bulldozered over. Well, I think a lot more here than in, the, in the states yeah. in like Europe or other places where things are held in a little higher. I could respect. be wrong. I could be wrong on this completely. I don't but know. It's just it's, an idea. That's interesting thought. Yeah. About that, so, and I just wanted I mean, to and, go ahead. And it's interesting to think about, like you know, in Europe, obviously they had they've had several world wars. You know, <laughs> so yeah. there are things that have been bombed, uh, you know, absolutely obliterated. I mean, yes. I spent some time um, in Dresden, mm-hmm. um, which of course was absolutely you know firebombed to the earth, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you know you go there, and what they do is they've rebuilt this you know this church that was totally bombed out and everything. But they keep a couple of the uh, you know whatever original stones managed to survive, and there's not many. They're left there and they're incorporated into the building, and you can see they're you know charred and blackened and everything like that. Yeah, it's sort of a way to say like, look, this this happened just because we re- reconstructed this, just because we, we've built something here, doesn't mean that we're going to forget what's here. And I do think that there are lots of places in the in the United States that do that too. But there's also a lot of places, like you said, where they sort of like mm, smash it, build a car park, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, and again, it's it's. Anything to work a Tony Soprano quote into a show, I'll do that. <laughs> that was the, that was the whole end game. <laughs> that was the end nice. game. I win the game. Nice. Yes. All right, Amber. I, I'm sorry. I'll it's okay. Up. It's okay. I I do have to pick your your brain here, Corey, because I have to know more about this. You wrote your dissertation on something called the Parade of Spirits in Philadelphia, and honestly, I could not find like there's information on the internet, but it seems like it's something newish, and it looked to me like an upgraded. Uh, Krampus parade, but I wasn't sure. So I got to ask you, what is this? Yeah, so it started off as a Krampus parade uh, okay. for sure. Uh, that was that was originally what it was was the Krampus Law Philadelphia, um, and it got started going, you know, kind of early mid two thousands. People were were getting into this, um, you know, they were looking for something that that took away that sort of saccharine, glitzy. Um, shimmer from the holiday season because you know we we've been through some dark times, some dark nights of the soul, sort of so, societally, culturally. Um, you know, this is po- in a post nine eleven world and everything like this. Um, and people were kind of saying like, look, you know, the, the the Christmas season, sure, it's fine. We can have holidays and everything like that. It's, it's, we're not trying to take away people's Christmas, but we also want to see that there is you know an acknowledgement that things can be pretty grim too. That this is a time of darkness as much as it's a time of sort of you know you know santa claus and jingle bells there's also a lot of grinches out there too right um and so they turned to this kind of old folklore this alpine folklore um of the krampus who has there's you know dozens of different figures like this over in europe 
um, these kind of dark companions to St. Nicholas or these sort of figures that roam the holidays and, you know, are, are vaguely threatening. Sometimes they'll give you treats, but they could also <laughs> slit open your belly and stuff you full of dirt, um, depending on which one you're talking about, right? Hmm. Um, and there's these huge traditions kind of associated with them that involve these kind of like pushing parades and, uh, you know, what they call remplers, where the two two groups will get into fights and things like that uh, and sort of have a street fight between these people dressed as these we- weird hairy horned beasts and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, the Philly parade started off as that. And over time, it evolved because people were saying, well, it's not really just the Krampuslauf uh, anymore, because a lot of the people who are coming are not dressing as Krampus, which is fine, because um, we actually have a regional variation of that here in Pennsylvania um, called uh, the Belsnickel. Oh yeah. Um, which, have you ever if you've ever watched The Office? Yes. Um, <laughs> Dwight, Dwight shows up wearing this one time, right? It's a real thing, right? It's yep. not just something you made. Yep. Up. Um, and so, uh, so you have this that figure that's being incorporated, um, and people started kind of making their own sort of spirits th- that were part of their culture and bringing them because Philly Philly is a really cosmopolitan city, right? Lots of people from lots of places. So, um, so more and more spirits kind of became a part of this. We still have these Krampuslaufs. Um, all throughout the U.S., there's one in Portland. There's a really, really big one in L.A. that also has like a Krampus like rave kind of a thing <laughs> component going uh-huh. on with it. Um, I think there's one in Austin. There's one in Indianapolis. There's um, or not Indianapolis. It's Bloomington, not Indianapolis. But but yeah, all these kind of places all over the United States that are doing these Krampus stuff. But it's it's really because they want to see um, something to push back against that sort of like commercialized sense of like oh Christmas is all about you know standing in line at the mall and then sitting in Santa's lap. And one of the, one of my favorite things at doing this dissertation on Krampus stuff, one of the people I interviewed was the, one of the people who organized this. And she was talking about the fact like, you know, we have children that show up to this thing with monsters and demons that are parading through the streets of Philadelphia. And you know what? Kids have a great time. They laugh, they have fun. They get in their costumes. We've never had a child cry at this. You know where I see children crying? <laughs> Santa's <laughs> lap. Santa. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's such a great point. I love that. That's going to that's the That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, that's so true. Like yeah. Santa is similar to, I think, like a clown for, for some kids. I don't, there's something just mm-hmm. weird and menacing and just this red and white guy. I don't, I don't know. And I was a kid that loved monsters. I mean, what kid doesn't mm-hmm. love monsters? So you see these, you know, and I have to wait. This is a Michigan thing. I have to comment on this. But I hear a lot of different pronunciations of Krampus, Krampus, mm-hmm. and I heard you yeah. say Krampus, and I'm like, God, we're so Michigan, because in Michigan everything's yeah, Krampus, Krampus. That's fine, and, <laughs> and I mean, it, it's it's you know, it depends on kind of where you are. Even, I know, even kind of in the Alpine region, it could be you know, Krampus, Krampus, you know, right. just kind of where you are. Um, I just, and you know, like I said, he's not the only one. There's like you know, Nekthruprecht, and there's uh, Perfutard, and there's all these other figures that are over there. There's um, uh, Grilla, and there's um, the the parks and all these like, again really horrifying but yeah. really delightful figures. So. I know they were starting to do a parade in Detroit, and I don't know if mm-hmm. it continued on. I know it kind of began right before COVID struck, mm-hmm. so I don't know if that kind of disrupted I think that. that. Knocked the legs off of it. I don't yeah. know because well outside stuff, but then when you got other people trying to put it together, and if they're kind of you know sick or doing whatever, I don't know. Um, yeah. And then we went to a, a parade in Milwaukee. And yeah. that was really fun. And just, it was small, but I'm like, this is way cooler way to spend Christmas than like all the other <laughs> stuff. And I'm glad that I see a rise in it. And it's just so cool that you were able to write an entire dissertation on this. It's like awesome. Oh, yeah. It was great. Yeah. I interviewed a ton of people. And they, it was funny because like they knew as I was getting to the end of my dissertation, they were like, you still need to talk to like these five or six other people. How can we do that? And they literally threw an entire um, like a dinner party just so that I could meet and talk to all the people I needed to talk to because they were having such a good time, you know, helping me with this. And I am so thankful for that. I, I'm curious with Detroit with like, 
are they trying to do Krampus up there? Or are they trying to do like because you guys have the Nain Rouge, right? Yeah, yeah. So it is. It's something separate than that. It's um, okay. its own thing. They're not combining uh, the Nain Rouge with it. It's which it's great to have like two monster parades in like one sure. year. Like in March, we go do the nine, and in December, you know, we get our Krampus suits on. And yeah, I, I know, I love. The, and the Nine Rouge is something that's about. It's a little over a decade old. But it's getting bigger and bigger every year. I think 2020 they didn't do it, but I think they yeah. brought it back last year again. And uh, it's it's weird. It's like I just call it Mardi Gras for weirdos yeah. because it really everyone dresses in different. There's people. There's like there's a hot dog guy, like a guy in a hot dog outfit. There's the guy mm-hmm. in that signature um, T Rex outfit. Um, mm-hmm. Just all kinds of weird costumes. A lot of people in the the kind of he's been sort of. Even though he's described in the legend as like a little red dwarf, a lot of people show up more as like a devil, like your, well, your classic red devil with that horns. And bad and... luck, and you know the harbor. You know he's he's he brings bad things where, and there's arguments back and forth on yeah. that. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, it, it yeah, I think the vast majority of people down there, it, the festival is to ward him off, to push him yeah. out of Detroit, yeah. to push him out of the city mainly. And then mm-hmm. there's a few of us that go down there and troll with our signs and say, no, we love the Nain Rouge. He's not. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> and we get yelled at all, which is, we find absolutely hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, we can credit uh, John E.L. Tenney yeah, for that John one. Yeah, John E.L. Tenney for that Researcher. One. Yeah, so, I mean, but that's it's a, it's a great festival. It really is a lot of fun. I mean, it's all in good fun no matter what it side is. you're on, I think. Too. Right. It is. Uh, it's also a beautiful thing, too, to see Detroit. I was mentioning things about Detroit before, kind of how, you know, a lot of the history has been removed. It's really interesting. And I said this to you, Amber, uh, the, a couple of years ago when we were there marching mm-hmm. in the parade with oh, signs yeah, that yeah, say yeah. Nain Rouge is really cool, actually, yeah. or with signs like that. Yeah. Uh, and I was looking at her going... I remember going to college here, and we couldn't walk down Cass Corridor. You would get shot or stabbed. Yeah, I mean, that's There's been insane. a lot that's happened there. I mean, you know, a side point on that. There's been a lot that's happened to that And town. that was, you were in, when did you, when were you at Wayne State? 1847. No, no. <laughs> uh, no, I graduated in 2001. Okay, so yeah. that's not all that long ago. No, it isn't. In the grand scheme of things. 20 solid years, yeah. To say that yeah. we would have been shot at. 20 mm. years ago mm. on the street, and mm. now we are walking past Jack White's shop yeah, well, and yeah, man celebrating a little magical creature. <laughs> there's cafes and shops everywhere, yeah. and you can get drinks. And yeah, it's it's a it's a different world. That's, yeah, a, that's a side note, though. Go ahead, Amber. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, so, okay. I, I One of the things, too, I wanted to pick your brain, Corey, is internet mm-hmm. folklore. Mm-hmm. Because I, I'm sure as a folklorist, you can probably comment for days on this, but... I, I will say, and I know we, we don't want to get into any like weird political thing, but I had to mention this. Oh, because I want to go all no, day. No, no. We're going to just totally. No, we don't. We don't. But I was going through your podcast, which, by the way, all the listeners, you have to check out Corey's podcast. He we'll, has, link, we'll link it to our We are going to link. He has uh, one called Chasing Foxfire. Mm-hmm. And um, the other one is, um, it's it's just straight up called New World Witchery, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can find those on all of the podcast apps because yeah, I was listening on Spotify. Yeah. So I had queued up episode five rumors mm-hmm. from 2018 on your podcast, Chasing Foxfire. And I thought, oh my God, this was so like right before a pandemic. And you guys are talking about the just medical folklore. Right. And with mm-hmm. an emphasis on people not wanting to get vaccines or having hesitancy right. and, and kind of a history. And I was listening to this and I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, it reminded me how long that that had been going on, how information gets kind of 
put out there for better or for worse through the use of the internet or word of mouth or um, mm-hmm. its own little folklore vehicle. Um, but I, w- I kind of wondered if, if there was any observations you dared to uh, uh, share <laughs> since the pandemic began on, on, on this topic. Yeah, I mean, uh, so the guest I had on that, I, I think that was Andrea Keita, um, who specializes in um, medical folklore and medical folklore phenomenon. She's got a really good book called Kiss of Death, which is all about these kind of like medically informed um, folklore stories that circulate everything from like, um, you know, women who wear poison lipstick to kill men to uh, vampires and things like there's all kinds of really interesting stuff in that book. Um, but um, so the in terms of like what's happened over the past few years, I think what we're seeing is essentially just a an amplification of what was already out there. Um, Mm -hmm. The internet and social media particularly is really good at doing what folklore has always done, which is kind of circulating unauthored stories, um, stuff that's really hard to kind of find a source or a place to attribute it to, but that still feels really important and relevant. Um, And sometimes, you know, it contains that little grain of truth that then sort of gets rolled around and turned into either a very, very, you know, beautiful pearl of wisdom and and, and knowledge or some kind of horrifying sea monster that's going to devour us all. Um, But so it's really that's what's happening with with sort of Internet stuff is that um, stuff can get amplified very, very quickly can get circulated very, very rapidly. It's no different than, you know, when people used to send chain letters um, where you know, if you don't send this on to five other people, you're going to be cursed with bad luck, right? Um, well, that worked really, really slowly and over a long period of time and a great amount of distance, but the internet just kind of condenses that. So now, you know, grandpa sends you the email <laughs> right. uh, version of that, or somebody shares the Facebook post of that and it, and it moves just so much faster. And in terms of, you know, what are people, you know, afraid of? Well, they're afraid of all kinds of things that that get caught up in this folklore. So, you know, there's a very real fear and it's, it's worthy, it's worthy of acknowledging at least like people have a very real fear about what goes in their bodies. That is absolutely a sensitive topic, mm-hmm. something people have a right to be afraid of and, you know, worried about and curious about, but it's also something that's very easy to exploit and turn yeah. into um, a much darker thing, which oftentimes has all kinds of other connotations. So people will turn it into a reason to sort of, hate on and distrust all uh, doctors and then kind of by extension, all people who are like, you know, academic or that are sort of, you know, the, the smart people in society, which yeah. is weird. Um, <laughs> and then like people will also kind of turn that around and sort of, you know, talk about, you know, turning to to nature to heal us and, you know, using only natural stuff. And it's, so it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, you know, there's a benefit to, to you know, eating organically or, you know, doing natural supplements and things like that. But it's also worth pointing out that arsenic is a completely natural substance. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. There's cyanide and apple seeds, quite frankly. So. It's organic. That's true. <laughs> Have some nice organic cyanide. So, yeah, there's, there's kind of cutting both ways on that. I, I like your use of the word amplified because that mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense just because, yeah, it's always been there, that information, and it's always been disseminated that way on the Internet. But it's just gotten a little bigger. Well, the it internet goes amp- a little faster. The Internet's designed to amplify it's, yeah, it's true. all information. It's like with the urban legend of, of, of the 70s or something. You know, you had he had to hear it from a friend of a friend who heard it from the babysitter, mm-hmm. who heard it from Grant, you know, grandma and right. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it had to take time to get around. And yeah. then it's like a game of telephone. Now we have 90,000 podcasts and just crank those well, out every day. We have podcasts sharing <laughs> this stuff. But then when I was when I was starting to, like in the early 2000s, when people were starting to share their ghost stories and haunted locations on, on, on the interwebs, on forums and everything, 
you would start to see maybe where you heard about one or two versions of a haunting or legend. All of a sudden, people were saying, oh, well, this is how I heard it, or this is how my grandma heard it, or this is how they Mm -hmm. told it in the 60s. And so there was a little, it kind of sped up even that way of collecting uh, information from people instead of Mm -hmm. like going door to door, like, hey, do you remember this story? Hey, do you remember this story? Mm -hmm. So I I think it has its ups and downs. And then I think you have anybody and anybody that can just go in there and put their experience on. And it might be completely, like, I don't want to say fraudulent. It was an experience. But someone that gets hyped up goes into a cemetery and really, it's a raccoon that ran that scared him. But they're like, "No, it was the, you know the bloody ghost of the tombs," you know. And they right, get all riled yeah. up, and then they go to the internet and go, "We saw it, we heard it, we saw it," and then that becomes part of the the yeah, legend, yeah, you know, story, yeah. even though it was a raccoon, you know. Yeah, and I mean that definitely happened. I mean, it's it's a really good point that like, and it's 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 interesting because like you do, you're right, it does help some of that stuff because people suddenly are able to compare notes with so many other people yeah. and start saying. Oh, wait, you've had this experience too. And there's some really great things that can happen with that, where people start to sort of uh, feel validated by the fact that they've experienced similar things um, and they can kind of point to these shared experiences and they become very meaningful and real. And I think that's wonderful. I don't, I don't knock on that at all, but you also have an issue with, you know, one of the things that we discover and the thing I think Andrea Kita talks about in that episode is um, that the reason this stuff is effective is because most of the stuff that we share is coming from people we trust, right? So you're going to trust somebody um, if they're sharing misinformation with you, um, if you trust them, that misinformation has extra weight. It means something more to you and you're more likely to believe it. And because of that, sometimes these kind of internet rumors and folklore can get really blown out of proportion because you really trust the person who shared it, even though you haven't investigated the information. Yeah. And in the internet age, one of the one of the really kind of awful things is that we also have bad actors kind of out there who will intentionally introduce misinformation, yep. um, whether that's for political reasons. I mean, this can be internationally as well. You can have, you know, people kind of spawning these rumors online from, you know, 4chan or 8chan or yep. things like that. Um, and, you know, people do that and they amplify these really, really, um, you know, fraudulent statements because they can get one person that other people trust to do that amplification for them. And it, it just spirals really, really quickly. Well, I mean, that's what makes it scary sometimes. You, yeah, you hit, sure. you really you keyed in on that, and I key in on this all the time. And I know I nowadays, and I can thank social media for this. I think and the internet in general. Uh, I have a real. I mean, I don't know who to trust anymore. It, it's a stressful yeah. time to let we live in right now. You got to do some research sometimes when you, you see you, something. Well, you you really do. And I mean, all the hilarious jokes I see about people like, well, I read it on Facebook. Now I'm an expert. Well, it's true because. I've, I've had personal conversations with people that literally I've had them quote memes to me and taking mm-hmm. that <laughs> as an argument. And I'm like, okay, I'm not that smart, but I'm not that dumb. <laughs> come, come on, man. Come on. Really? You got And I mean, yeah, I mean, even the research you do though. Um, I mean, I guess it's something a, a professional person told me years ago, the single point of truth, we call it right. Uh, how do you get there nowadays? It seems like the road, if you're dealing with the internet, let's just say, just the digital super highway that we have out there now, uh, and literally in our hands, um, how, what is the single point of truth you, that you get to? Where is that single point of truth? That's my problem with all this is I don't know where that's at. I don't know where we can even get to that. Now, the debate, the debate, and I mean, COVID, for example, and you, I mean, that's a no-brainer nowadays, Corey. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID, look at 
the debates that are out there, the debates that's happening right now as we as we're recording this thing, right? Mm-hmm. The debate's alive and well, but where is the truth? And that's, I mean, that's not a question that anybody can answer in this room, I think. But I think mm-hmm. that's what it amplifies. And then it muddies the waters up. I don't, frankly, and I do live in that. I know I personally do live in that state of flux where I'm like, well, I don't know what to trust anymore. Do I get the shot? Do I not get the shot? You know, I mean. Right. Well, that's what it comes down to. Like, so you're asking, like, you know, where's the truth? And I think that the the question that has really emerged is that we we tend not to believe there is a truth sometimes. So it becomes less about what is the truth and it becomes much more about who do I trust? Do I trust, you know, the CDC, Anthony Fauci? Um, Do I trust... Uh, my uncle who, yeah. you know, has these, you know, really strong opinions and is very, very charismatic when I've always known him to be, you know, a good person, you know, and yeah, it becomes very much kind of about, um, you know, charisma and character as much as it is about, you know, factual data. Mm-hmm. And, and we also live in an age where, you know, facts and data can be manipulated as well. So that becomes, that becomes really tricky <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is for my own edification. I got to ask you this. Is mm-hmm. there a difference between the terms folklore, legend, lore, urban legend, or are they pretty much all synonymous? So folklore is the big broad category. It's kind of the umbrella that okay. under all, the, all that st- stuff sits under. Um, legends are, uh, in folklore, we define legends as a story kind of centered around a grain of truth. It's got that little bit of truth in there, and it's usually set in a historical time or a place. You can kind of tie it to an actual person or an actual event, or you can connect it to something that really exists. So you can think about like robin hood right robin hood's a legend king arthur is a legend um uh you know we have um you know you know here in the united states we have legends about george washington right so this is the whole you know chopping down the cherry tree and stuff like that um we have stories that have that element of truth because there's really a person or there's really a place that we can connect it to a myth is out of time out of place and kind of sacred um to a culture so it's believed as sort of a holy truth or a sort of a a truth beyond the mundane world um, and then um, folktale is usually a story that we don't we don't necessarily lend it um, tr- truth credence. You know, it's kind of what Stephen Colbert calls truthiness, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so we we say you know it feels like it could have some elements of truth, but we're not committed to the truth of it at all. Yeah. Um, we we share because it it's a good story and maybe it does some other things for us. Um, so those are kind of you know that's my my sixty second breakdown. Yeah. For, for no, I love that. that. Thank you, because that that sort of always like throws me off sometimes. Like, yeah. like are there differences? But no, that's cool. Um, I I want to get into some ghost lore because sure. I think it's one of the most popular forms of folklore that gets shared, especially nowadays. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on why that continues to be one of the most popular topics in folklore? Oh sure, I mean it's it's the great unknown. It's the thing. It's the, the the last great adventure right the one no one comes back from um it must be so great or must be so terrible right mm-hmm. uh, we get to the end of of life what happens where where do we go what happens next will ghosts provide a little bit of a, a clue or an answer or an opportunity to at least express some ideas and thoughts about it um and you know we as human beings we experience things in in ways that I don't want to say like no other animal experiences. I don't know what goes on in a dolphin's head. I have no idea. Um, But, you know, we certainly seem to have a very strong imaginative connection to the world in ways that go beyond just kind of like, well, how do we get our next meal? We, we can really deal with questions that go well beyond that. You know, I'm saying, you know, no other animal, the only other animal I can think of that could kind of compare to this is elephants. 
um, because elephants will literally like hold funerals and like Aww. they'll gather up the bones of their dead relatives and like cradle them and hold them Aww. close. And they'll actually make pilgrimages to the sites where um, their family members died, like exactly every year wow. and things like that. So they'll do this kind of stuff too. So I don't want to say it's just humans that do this, but we definitely do this, right? We definitely have this connection, this, this desire to, understand mortality and ghosts are such a good way to do that there's such a an exciting way to say like what if what if some piece of us can stay on um and then we you know often say like i saw something that makes me believe that or i saw i I felt the presence of somebody i love in the room with me again or i felt the presence of somebody i was absolutely terrified of in the room with me right and because of that we get this um we get this little bit uh of a glimpse beyond the veil. We get a little bit of a, a, a window into the potentials of the other world. And that's very exciting for us as, as beings who can acknowledge our own mortality. Right. So I think that's why they stay so popular. I, I think ghosts to represent like they're, they're so entwined with history mm-hmm. that it's such a cool gateway for people to look at history. And I think yes. that's why like ghost tours are so popular and why they've, you know, they're way better than just your traditional, like, over here, we have where George Washington slept. You right. know, if you if you can actually state, like, over here is where the bloody ghost of Bill is seen. Sure. Uh, I think that's something that taps into our imagination, kind of like I think what Corey alluded to. is It's just something that taps into our imagination. It does, yeah. Uh, it makes us think about things. It makes us wonder about things. It makes us wonder about, of course, the world around us, but, of course, the world that's possibly not around us that we don't know about. And that's one thing I was thinking about as you were saying that, Corey, is – and I mean, this is a huge question to ask, and it's, I mean, it's kind of an unanswerable question too, but I've thought about this a lot about the idea of ghost. And I mean, I make these assumptions and it's just a question. It's just an idea. Uh, what if this idea of a ghost is just a construct that people have made up to comfort themselves? I mean, because I think, you know, you're, t- you're talking about elephants, which just literally teared me up when you said that <laughs> about <laughs> elephants. It's just, that's heartbreaking. Um, yeah. And we, we behave the same way. We grieve. We feel pain because we as people have developed. We ha- we're, I guess it's because our minds are more developed. We're smarter uh, that we have these pains. We have these emotional attachments to the people around us that we spent many years with, right? And mm-hmm. perhaps the ghost story, the classic ghost story, could have just been born from someone who simply couldn't cope with the loss of their loved one, right? And it, and that's one seed that starts. And of course, yeah, look around us now. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of books on the subject. People are talking about this every day on thousands and thousands and thousands of podcasts now. But maybe mm-hmm. it was born from, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not arguing for this. <laughs> I'm just saying it's an idea, I think. I've thought about a lot that perhaps, I mean, yeah, it could very much be. We don't, our heart stops. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I mean, I have a hard time even personally dealing with that idea uh, where just, it just I mean, what happens? I mean, and I think this is what we all think well, about. Well, that's why, I mean, you look at like the central point in a lot of religions is an afterlife. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. it explains that. And mm-hmm. yeah. It explains, it explains that I, it I, makes us feel better about the situation too when we I, lose a love. Yeah. One. And I know Colin Dickey, who's been on the show before, he wrote in his book something to the effect that ghosts allow us to talk about death yeah they do oh well, and, yeah, yeah and even if they're even if you're not um even if they're not necessarily like even if they are a construct right like let's scott, scott let's take that that perspective right like even if they are a construct they still tell us something 
they still tell something about us and ourselves and our experiences and how we feel about the world. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a good point. I I also like that ghost lore seems to be one of the aspects of uh, folklore that is interactive. Like the interactive legend where you go over to like the bridge and you flash your headlights three times and you wait to hear for the baby to cry. I I like that kind of stuff that people can participate in and whatever their experiences, you know, they come back with whatever. But I I like that you had written about that a bit in your book and you mentioned the seven gates of hell. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Near York, uh, Pennsylvania. And with these legend trips being sort of like initiatory rites for people. I don't know if you can expound on that a little bit in that story from uh, Pennsylvania. Well, sure. And it's, so it's not just Pennsylvania. It's um, uh, There's actually seven gates of hell. I think there's actually one in Michigan because there's a hell in Michigan, right? Yes, there is. Um, there is. And so so I think there's actually a, a version of it that has appeared in that <laughs> oh, area I gotta as well. I got to look that up. <laughs> um, but there's, yeah, there's, there's this uh, idea of like you go and you find, and they're not seven, like it's not like seven consecutive gates or anything like that. Like the whole thing is like you find this one gate and it's the starting gate and you know it's the starting gate. And then you have to go through that and you wander for a while. And just as soon as you're kind of out of sight of that first gate, you're going to see another gate and you're going to have to go through that. But every time you pass through one of these gates, something happens. The wind picks up a little bit. Sounds either become more amplified or fall away entirely. Right. And you get these kind of like chills that go up your spine as you're kind of moving forward. And of course the, the whole thing is, um, if you can make it through all seven, then you'll actually enter hell. You'll get to look upon hell itself and, and see this this place. Um, but of course, no one ever makes it that far. They always leave. <laughs> they get to like eat four, and they're like, "Out of here, see ya." <laughs> I know. What would be the incentive to that? Like, hey, you guys get to look at hell. You might not come back. Mm, let's just go through four gates. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, but this is the whole thing. Like, why would you summon? You know, why would you summon Bloody Mary? Right. right. This is one of the things I'm sort of uh, studying right now. Is I'm trying to look into these kind of like occult games that kids play, and oh, so yeah, legend yeah, trips yeah. fit into that too. Um, and so, like a lot of it is about challenging your understanding of the world, right. And challenging your worldview. It's sort of proving to yourself that something else is there, which is a lot of, you know, what we're talking about with ghost stories is like, you want to prove that the world is more than just meat and mud and bone and death, you know, that there's so much more to it, even if it's the really terrible thing, because if the really terrible thing exists, then maybe a really wonderful thing exists too. Right. And so you can kind of, um, we see, um, so f- for example, there's a folklorist named Bill Ellis who did a really interesting discussion or a really interesting uh, book. I think it's called Lucifer Ascending, um, which talks about the rise of like, you know, kids playing Ouija boards in the 60s sort of in response to the exorcist coming out, right? Okay. Um, in the 70s. And what he found was like a lot of the kids who would play the Ouija board in sort of their adolescent years we're doing it uh, because they came from incredibly conservative Christian backgrounds, incredibly like evangelical Christian backgrounds. And the whole thing was that as soon as they, you know, contacted something on the Ouija board, it proved to them that demons were real, which also proved to them that all the stuff that they were, you know, thinking about rebelling against <laughs> in their upbringing was also real. And so it really confirmed to them their, their sort of religiosity, which is a really fascinating kind of way to go with that. Um, but yeah, there's definitely this like, I don't know, this desire to, to, to touch, to see, to, to prove to yourself that there's 
there's there's more on heaven and earth than, than meets the eye, right? Right. So. It, and I think even with these type of interactive legends, it's similar to like people who, who get a thrill off riding a roller coaster or anything. You know, that fact oh, yeah. that you could be like, okay, by the time we, we say Bloody Mary the third time, she might appear. What are we going to do, guys? What are we going to do? And just yeah. that anticipation that that might happen or even working yourself up that everyone thinks they saw it. Or, and I know every everybody out there probably, at least 90% of the people that listen to our show has probably at some point played with the Ouija board when they were very young. Mm-hmm. I know my mom had her board from the 60s, and I'd bust that out of the basement, and we'd pull it out and ask stupid questions like, who's going to be our fourth grade teacher next? And mm-hmm. we'd get an answer. And then when it was, it, it's like one out of three chances it was going to be right. And I remember in fourth grade, it was right. The Ouija board was right. So from that point on, I was like, that thing's right. It's right. Oh, my God. There's sure. spirits. Yeah. You know, and again, and like you said, it justifies or um, adds to your belief that, yeah, yeah, I don't need anything else more scientific than this. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> it proved yeah, it. Yeah, it worked. What yeah. else do you need? Yeah, right? that's, that's, it. that's so much kind of when we think about folklore, folk magic, <laughs> like that's all we need. We don't need it to scientifically take us through the rational explanation. We just need to say like, oh, it did the thing you said it was going to do. Right. Great. It, that works for me. Well, <laughs> and, you know, speaking of rational, um, I kind of want to move on to witches and they uh-huh. always get such a bad reputation in folklore. And the rise of witchcraft, especially I feel in the past like five years, few years, has has really exploded, especially with younger generations. Um, I know on our last episode we were talking with um, – um, why am I blanking on her name? That's awful. She was just on. Um, Is it Kat, Kat yes, Nicole? thank oh, yeah. you. Yes, okay. And and she she's a practicing witch, and we were t- bringing up like stuff like witch talk, and mm-hmm. all these you know <laughs> just the ways that younger kids are engaging that with that community and learning about magic, yeah, um, and all that. But which means obviously different things to different people. Some for some it means someone who's bad, works with the devil, curses people. Um, I know some uh, people in the witchcraft community don't even like to call themselves witch others do they like to claim it they want to take it back it's theirs but i feel like in folklore even though there are like the gorgeous pretty sorceress type witches there's still that stigma of that a witch is going to poison your food eat your kids sour your milk um why why is the witch always had this bad reputation in our folklore i mean that's a good question and i mean it it really depends on kind of of whose folklore you're looking at but but yeah largely in kind of western folklore we have images of witches it's it's really i think comes down to they're cheating right they they have an access to a power that not everybody has access to um that gives them you know even if you go back into kind of the myths people like medea right medea in the the story of jason and uh greek mythology she's a sorceress she's essentially a witch um and she saves Jason by doing some fairly horrible things, but she saves him. And so she's part of the hero's story. Um, but then later on, you know, he starts, um, you know, <laughs> basically is sort of like, you've gotten old and I like young, younger women now, which, you know, dick move, Jason. Dick move. Um, but I hope I can say that. You can, you can. But at any rate, um, but yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, so then she sort of is, decides, well, I'm going to take my dragon harnessed chariot and murder your two children and fly away right and she has access to these powers that most mortals don't have and jason should have been a lot smarter about what he was doing uh you know because of that but that's the thing is like there's the sense of like oh they're cheating they have access they can do things that that i can't do 
But I think what gets missed in a lot of the stories, because because we do have this image of like witches are always evil, and they certainly are evil in a lot of stories. Mm. But a lot of times it's less that they're evil and more that they're self-interested uh, or that they're trying to accomplish things that maybe don't make sense to everyone else around them. Um, Baba Yaga is a really good example if you get into kind of like Slavic folklore. Um, in some tales, she's this kind of cannibalistic, child-eating monster ogre witch. But there's also a ton of stories where she's actually helping the hero along, um, that she actually provides like the tools that the hero is going to need at the end of the story. Um, and she's threatening, but actually helpful. So it kind of depends on where she comes in. And, you know, in a lot of folklore, the other side of this is that if she is self-interested, it's because people are not taking care of everybody around them, right? There's a lot of situations where the witch is only doing what she's doing because she's very poor she doesn't have access to the same resources that they sort of her neighbors have. So she'll be like, well, I'd really like to buy this pig from you at a very reasonable or perhaps cheap rate because she needs that pig, right? She needs that pig to survive. Mm-hmm. And the neighbor says, no, well, okay. Then all of a sudden the neighbor's pigs are all cursed. Well, it's because she had a need and she expressed that she had a need and nobody would sort of meet her there. She's stealing stuff. She's usually stealing food. She's stealing milk or wine or bread or things like that. So it comes down to like, sometimes these stories are actually about sort of a breach in the social contract that the witches, you know, <laughs> said, well, you know what, if, if you're not going to sort of honor the the sort of social code that we all live in, then I'm not going to either. And I have, I have magic to help me. So <laughs> we'll see how, we'll see who comes out on top of me. <laughs> you know, I, I know the idea too of the vengeful witch. When I, when I think about um, stories like the bell witch in Adams, Tennessee, and mm-hmm. I don't know if that is still the and once once upon a time, the, st- the statistic said that that was the only known haunting that killed somebody. That killed somebody. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it was also just a, the story, not only did someone die as a result of that, but it was also... Well, they were tormented. It was too, so much of. on the nose. Like, yeah, like literally like the witch was like, you could hear the witches yelling and, and laughing maniacally. Like... I think these, you know, these, I mean, stories of spirits and, I mean, this is a witch in this case, they're not nearly as on the nose. It's the subtleties, I think, that we're looking for in this field of study. But this was not only that someone die, as we've said, there also is just this, uh, it was aggressive, extremely aggressive as far as that's concerned. That's what makes it very different, I think. Well, and I think, I I don't know, Corey, if you have a thought on this, but I think sometimes in, uh, lots of stories about ghosts and hauntings, things get kind of branded just, oh, it's a witch. And mm-hmm. there's no reason, rhyme or reason for it. I know in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, there's the tale of the Ada witch. And the story mm-hmm. has nothing to do with witchcraft, sorcery, nothing. It was just a woman that allegedly was cheating on her husband. And mm-hmm. he then follows her out, finds her with her lover, kills him, kills her, you know, and, and that's that. But somehow it just becomes the Ada witch because they've seen a lady in white walking on the side of the road, moving through the tombstones, mm. and boom, that's it. And, it's, of course, it's a catchy title. It makes for a good story. Um, and I just sometimes wonder if you think about whatever spirit, if you're going to think believe it was a supernatural entity that was around the Adams – or not the Adams, but um, – Yeah, it's Adams, Tennessee. Yeah, Adams. But what about the Bell family? Um, yeah. That it was just some kind of supernatural entity, and then you just – well – Connect a witch, call it a witch. That's what we call it. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's. It, I mean, in 
in some of the old the some of the accounts that were taken not quite contemporary contemporaneous to the the haunting um but at least in some that were taken i think within 30 years or so of the haunting um there were stories where people said they heard um the witch say uh in in the woman's voice i'm the witch of old kate bats right ah. um so that but at that point which could have also meant the spirit or the the sort of maleficent uh you know evil entity so it's like what you're saying right it's not really doesn't mean magic using which it just means kind of a, a spirit and again this is another one where like kate bats and uh, john bell had gotten into um a land dispute over some some land borders that they shared and things like that and that sort of became uh you know a, a question of well he was a wealthy landowner she not so much uh he came out on top and so she suffers by that and is this you know a breach of contract that she's correcting but you're right in that story honestly a lot of what we hear from that that bell which I, and, I, and the only reason i'm talking about this is because i actually grew up pretty close to adam's Tennessee. Oh, okay <laughs> um and so uh this is a story that we heard a lot i actually you know we we had our own version of bloody mary which was you would go and i can't i don't even know if i can say the thing because it actually terrified me as a kid um but you go into a dark room and spin around three times and say i hate the bell blank wow and i did it once and i saw like a hand come out of a stall at me in a bathroom in, the, in our school and i was like i'm out peace dude and it left a scar on me for that um but i love but yeah. how a local like how that legend was local to you and how it, it affected something that's so yeah. national like bloody mary but then specialized yep. it for you in that area that's cool Oh yeah, yeah. That ha- that happens quite a lot, honestly, and just depends kind of where you are. But yeah, that's. In, I mean, all the activity is very much more like a poltergeist. Yeah, you know, it's stuff being thrown around and shattered. The covers being ripped off of uh, Betsy Bell and her being kind of dragged out of her bed. And of course, she's, you know, an adolescent uh, woman who is, you know, this happens a lot around adolescence. Um, this mm-hmm. sort of poltergeist style activity. So yeah. mm-hmm. it could just be that, and this voice is just a projection that sort of fits that mold. Um, it could be something that's grafted on later. We don't know. So, but it is interesting that witch is kind of the thing that gets attached to this, even though it's clearly there's it's not the really much magic in yeah. it. Yeah, and, and yeah. it really is. You're putting your finger on it, it really, it really resembled poltergeist and, activity. But I go yeah. back to what I was saying. Like, I've never heard a story where you heard a voice and you just said a second ago, Corey, where I am the witch. I am the. I'm doing the witch voice now. Oh, don't. Oh, <laughs> no. Something's just. We're gonna see an arm come out of the wall and just like slap your head. Yeah. Like, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Yeah. Stop no, that. But you actually had a voice saying, "I am the witch. I am a witch. I. I mean, declaring, which I never heard that before with any other story. Frankly, that's just that's just me. Well, um, it's. I, one of the other things too about with with when you think about the, them having that dispute yeah. uh, with Kate, she's if I if I remember my history right, wasn't she kind of like the spinster type, unmarried, um, yeah. lonely? Yeah. So yeah. now she's like different from other women at that time. She's the other, and how often I think did the other in a situation get branded a witch or this you know become um, a scapegoat if something was happening? I you know yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's debates about whether or not she was even dead at the time. Right. So like some people mm-hmm. say she was she was dead. And, and I say she's a spinster. I'm not I'm, she may actually have been a widow. I'm trying to remember. Okay. that. that I know. I don't remember. I'm fuzzy. But I, either way, she was in a situation where she was um, she, she was she didn't have anybody that was easily able to take care of her. And so she's you know, and she had a bad temper, obviously, too. So that's that never bodes well. <laughs> Bad temper is a good way to get an accusation of witchcraft put right. against you. So, well, and speaking of yeah. accusations of witchcraft, I, in your research, I don't know if you've come across this, but I've been recently working on a book, 
and um, I'm I'm it's about Michigan stuff, and I came mm-hmm. across some little snippets that I have to put in, and it's about people kind of having a witch a witch panic. At times when you think, wow, I, we thought that was done with the Salem witchcraft trials, but no. And in Detroit especially, you had these little pockets where, you, where you'd have these panics or someone being called a witch. And a lot of times they were in areas where there was uh, a Polish community, different mm-hmm. different uh, nationalities that were banded together that brought their superstitions, belief systems with them. And so I had found this story about the Detroit witch and in 1917, there was this poor 16-year-old girl. Her name's mm-hmm. Celia. And I love how the newspaper said no two stories were alike. So you get, like we were just saying earlier with the internet, how you can get 10 different versions of like one story. And mm-hmm. police had to come and watch over the home because everyone's showing up, standing in front of her house because they want to see the witch girl or the devil's child. And basically the stories are saying that this girl can turn into a lion she can turn into a lion or a bear. She can disappear at will. And she possibly turned her boyfriend into stone. So I don't know if they're like sitting around the house just waiting for this chick to come out, like turn into a lion, a bear, do whatever. Mm-hmm. But the rumor was that she committed a sacrilege by taking home with her a holy communion wafer uh-oh, mm-hmm. and oh gave it to her, gasp, Protestant sweetheart, so that mm-hmm. he might marry her. And then when she broke it, it bled. So this mm-hmm. is in 1917, and this sounds like something that would be told like today. Mm-hmm. And I, I find little stories like that so interesting that people would get so worked up even then and sitting outside this girl's house when absolutely she's like, well, I don't even know where this came from. I don't even know how this got started. And, and I don't know right. if you kind of went in a lot of your witchcraft and lore and all that, your research, if you encountered more modern day witchcraft panics like that around the U.S., well, I mean, there's tons of them. Uh, I mean, even I think there was one also may also have been in Detroit where uh, I think she was a Hungarian in, in, immigrant um, got accused of murder. Oh, yep. Uh, um, the Witch of Del, Del Rey. Del, Del Rey. Thank yep. you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that one is one. Uh, we had one. We actually had several here in Pennsylvania. What's funny is, um, you know, we're talking about sort of being an immigrant and also, you know, having a bad temper and things like that. There was um, uh, when William Penn um uh, was kind of in charge of overseeing sort of the colony of Pennsylvania. Um, there were two women that were brought before him who were Swedish American immigrants and their British neighbors brought them in and said, they're witches. They do these, these witchy things. And <laughs> William Penn was like, uh, no, we're going to have a really public trial because we're going to show how stupid this is. And in the end, what he said, he said, they're not guilty of any kind of witchcraft that I could see. They're guilty of having a witch's reputation, which is basically like bad attitude. So <laughs> as long as they're nice for six months, this whole thing is done. Oh my which God. Is great. It's great. It's, it's lovely. Um, but, but we do have more modern stuff. So in 19, mm, I want to say it's there 1920s, uh, over here in Pennsylvania, we had the famous hex murder trial. I think it's 1929 oh, yeah. actually. Um, which um, a man named uh, Nelson Raymeyer uh, was attacked and killed in his home because he reportedly had books of magic. And he actually did have books of magic. He uh, was a practicing uh, what we call a brauchar or a powwow, uh, which is a kind of uh, magical healer in this area. And he was attacked and killed by another brauchar or a powwow. So it was a witch war at that oh. point, right? Um, and, uh, and they came into his home. They were trying to steal his book. Um, but in the end, what they did was they uh, accidentally they accidentally beat him to death if that's a thing um and and um sort of burned burned his home so uh they got caught and that was really really 
um, embarrassing for the Pennsylvania German community because like the New York Times was running stories on sort of backwards Pennsylvania beliefs. And so there was a real backlash to that. Um, but yeah, you have these kind of like interesting little pockets and trials that pop up where people will get accused of doing these kind of unnatural things. And of course, once you get past kind of the early 20th century, um, people aren't necessarily accusing other people of witchcraft anymore, right? Um, or if they are accusing them of witchcraft, they don't really have legal recourse because there's no laws about practicing witchcraft. There's laws about being a fraudulent medium. And right. that's not as exciting to take someone to court over. So instead, you get to the 1970s, 1980s, and instead of having, oh, they're you know witches and they're you know cursing our cattle and livestock, it's they're Satanists who have a secret underground organization and they're abducting children from daycare centers and uh, you know conducting and of course none of it's true but it has that same that satanic panic has that same yeah. veneer of of the witch trial and the witch panic that that becomes really really dangerous to the point where people were jailed or lost pieces of their lives i think damien eccles is um is a, is a good example of that he was one of the um oh the west memphis three yeah yeah um, uh, who were accused of killing a, a child and later mm-hmm. kind of, I, I was going to say exonerated. They weren't quite exonerated, but but it became kind of apparent that there was no, that the evidence was not as strong as people thought it was. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, all this, all this kind of stuff happened, you know, in the 1970s, 80s, 90s. I think it still kind of happens today at times. I, so. I think it pops up here and there. There's still yeah. people that get riled up about stuff, especially if you live in a more conservative area. I know I'll see little things on like, the dumpster fire that's Twitter and I'll there'll be, there'll be someone that's, you know, having a really good, cool conversation about ghost hauntings, witchcraft, whatever. And then insert, here comes someone like, you, you know, need Jesus. Yeah. Freaking out. And then there's an argument and it's like, and they're genuinely concerned. Like you're going to hell. Like you guys are messing with Satan and you know, the ghosts yeah. are Satan and, and they believe that's what they believe. And that's okay. And it's fine. That but way. I think, but, yeah, I don't it's, know. It's, again, if, social media. You, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why I say well, dumpster we say fire. That, we say that, and it is okay to a point, but it, the problem now is that that amplifies it to become actionable. So, yeah. for example, Pizzagate is a really good example of this, yes, right? Yes, yes. Um, where somebody believed very much the same thing. There was a secret underground group of Satanists led, in this case, I think they thought it was by Hillary Clinton, and they were running a pedophilia ring out of the basement of a pizza restaurant that didn't actually have a basement um so but somebody showed up armed they showed up armed to this pizza restaurant they could have really killed people that's true um, because of this that's incredibly dangerous um and then it's also weirdly like there's also a weird amount of anti-semitism that gets tied up into that too where like a lot of this is tied into what we would call the blood libel legends that people used to circulate where they would sort of accuse Jews of doing this sort of like abducting children and drinking their blood stuff but the same story that's being circulated um, by these people who are doing kind of the Pizzagate stuff. So it's very odd. Um, but you're right. It still definitely is kind of out there and circulating. That, so. Okay. I'm totally blanking on this. But with with that whole Pizzagate thing and mm-hmm. like, I don't know if it was on like the 4chan stuff or whatever, but I'm blanking what this is where they say that there's a like a group of mm-hmm. of people that collect the I don't know if it's the tears of babies and drink it's it. The blood. Is yeah, it... it's the blood. Because they believe that there's a, it's kind of like it's called adrenochrome. Yes, that's the word I'm thinking of. Yes. Yeah. It's this thing that you can get out of the blood of young people. It's kind of like liquid stem cells, kind of the way that it gets described. And it sort of keeps people young forever and blah, blah, blah. But it's literally, it's literally the exact same 
thing that you saw people lob against um, Jewish communities in like the 1600s and the 1500s saying like, oh, they're stealing our babies to drink their blood so that they can um, you know, live forever or be young or have these weird powers. It's exactly the same story, just being transposed into modern time. So, oh, that's so weird. And then when you hear it too, like you hear the word adrenochrome, and you're like, that sounds <laughs> that sounds official. Like, and it if does. you don't know any better, you're like, that's real. That sounds it does. wow. Yeah. You know? yeah. it sounds very futuristic. It does. Me. Like that is very a modern. It's a real liquid. But that's how that's why it's so effective, right? Yep. Because if you can just give it the right language, it sounds. It's truthy, right? Truthy. That is very truthy sounding <laughs> to me, right? So That's all a of a sudden fact. people are going to buy into it. Yeah. Um, you know, and our, and our last few minutes here, I'm kind of curious because with, with your new book, your new book features so many sections on all, all different elements of folk magic. Um, and I know in the U.S., I, and we, we brought up the, the Pennsylvania Dutch and, and the powwows. I, that was one of when we were talking about, oh, there's no magic in the U.S. There's no magic. You know, nothing's here. The first magical systems I discovered in the U.S. were powwow um, mm-hmm. and hoodoo. And I thought, mm-hmm. these are these are really neat. This is neat. Like, I didn't. Wow. And I, I know, like, I don't know if you can quick give, like, because I know it's very varied. But if you can give us, like, the different types of folk magic systems typically found in the U.S., yeah, uh, I mean, I can I can try to do the flyby tour. Um, yeah. There's a ton of them here. Uh, you know, this is going to be kind of the the, the two dollar tour that's <laughs> um, going to hit the highlights. Um, but obviously, kind of in the Northeast, we have a lot of kind of inherited what we call cunning folk practices. I kind of refer to them as new uh, New England witchery stuff that's kind of imported largely from England. But you also have some maritime stuff that comes down from uh, Canada as well, and a little bit of influence from places like. Uh, Scotland uh, showing up in there too. Um, and so you have that kind of in New England, you kind of move down to the mid-Atlantic, you have powwow or Brakarai, which is this sort of Pennsylvania German healing system, um, which is also, you know, using some of these British terms too. It's a little bit, um, it's it's very, very, it's, it's important to note, a lot of these are actually weirdly very Christian. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. These practices are very rooted in Christianity. It's just not that Christianity. <laughs> it's very like esoteric, weird Christianity. Um, and so, uh, and I don't say weird with any negative connotation, right. it's just weird, weird to me is a good word. So. Yep, it is. <laughs> um, and then you kind of move into the South. The South has multiple systems. So you have hoodoo, which is an African-American folk magical practice. Um, you have root work, which is another African-American folk magical practice that sometimes gets, uh, conflated with hoodoo, but it's found more on kind of the, the low country coastal areas. Um, and then you have uh, Southern conjure, which has some influences from hoodoo, some influences from Scott's. Irish tradition, some influences from British tradition, some influences from Pennsylvania German. We find that in kind of the Appalachians. Um, the Ozarks have their own kind of version of um, of that same kind of Southern conjure, but it's a little more, it's it's a little different flavored. Um, you can find uh, Crenderismo, Hechizaria, uh, Brujeria, uh, and Salmaria, kind of those are things that we've seen kind of come up through um, Mexico into the Southwest, but now they're kind of everywhere. We find them, them everywhere. Um, there's, uh, several, there's, uh, there's all kinds of, uh, interesting folk systems that have been brought here by Asian Americans as well. So there's, um, Tushneev, um, um, Hmong shamanism that we find kind of up in Minneapolis of all places. Um, there's Korean shamanism that shows up in a couple of places. Um, there's Taoist sorcery that we see showing up, uh, for example, places like the West coast, um, places like that. So yeah, there's tons and tons of different systems here. And what's really, really important to remember is like, 
some of these systems are closed. <laughs> you can't, not everybody can participate in them. Um, some of them are open if you're willing to do the work to, to kind of go through initiations and things like that. Some of them um, are things that, you know, you can kind of pick up little bits and pieces of over time and from different places. And almost everybody who is in the United States probably has full communities they belong to that if they dig hard enough, you're going to find that they actually have folk magical systems and folk magical practices. So um, wherever you are, there is magic. It, it is everywhere for sure. Magic. That's a perfect place to end it. I love that. <laughs> thank you so Good. much for coming on the show. Yeah. Like yes, you are you, a Corey. fountain thank you so much. of information. And I just knew like this would be a great show. Like, cause I get so excited about these topics and I, I seriously could probably pick your brain for like, <laughs> 5,000 hours and just, Thanks. what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Plus, you have a fantastic <laughs> speaking voice, so it makes it very easy to listen to. Oh, um, well, so, let's do it again sometime. Um, definitely, yeah, sure. because yeah. this I, like this book, do you have future books? Well, I know you got the book on um, Cardamancy that you yeah. put out. Um, do you have, and then there was some stuff you've edited, but um, did I see that there was something else in the works coming in 2022 or this year? Yeah, I've got actually, I've got a whole stack of things. I'm going to be revising and re- re- reissuing that um, Cardamancy book is kind of almost a 10th anniversary edition, adding some new stuff there. Okay. Um, I've got an edited collection for Llewellyn that I'm doing, which is basically interviews and, and chats with a bunch of different folk magic practitioners throughout the U.S. That'll be their um, complete book of North American folk magic showing up in late 2022. Um, I've got a book um, just about under contract with my co- podcast co-host and I, which is going to look at kind of the everyday magical history of, I'm sorry, the, the magical history of everyday objects. So like buttons, matches, thimbles, needles, stuff, stuff like that. Right. Um, and so kind of, you know, junk drawer magic is the way that we're putting it. Um, and then I'm also, like I said, I'm doing some research on um, uh, occult plays is kind of how I'm phrasing it. These kind of games that, that people play with uh, sort of cult themes, both the old fashioned ones like, you know, Bloody Mary um, and, uh, you know, even going back into colonial times with what we call the Venus class uh, and things like that, um, all the way up to sort of contemporary stuff like doing a Three Kings ride or, um, oh, uh, Darumasan. Do you know that one? I don't. What is that? The, so it's the Japanese. There's a whole bunch of these things that come out of Japan. Um, and whether or not people actually play them or not sounds terrifying as hell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, like Darumasan is this one where like you take a bath and like you close your eyes and you basically summon a spirit. And if you hear the spirit or feel it like touch you or anything like that, you do not open your eyes. And then you basically play it follows for the next uh, usually 24 hours. Sometimes it's 48 hours. Um, and if you, you feel it getting closer and closer to you and if it catches you, bad things Um, but if you can catch it if you look over your shoulder and catch it and say this kind of like a specific word um then you beat it and you uh then you win the game right but it's basically playing a game with this like you know hunting spirit and things like that um so so yeah all those kind of games are that's something i'm gonna be working on uh hopefully that'll become a book at some point uh we'll just kind of have to see how that goes japan japan has some seriously creepy stuff like genuinely creepy Like even yeah. even out of Korea, like watching Squid Games and stuff, it's like, oh my yeah. god, like this, ugh. Ugh. yeah. Or like, do you know? Do you know Red Paper Blue Paper? No. Um, that's the one where like if you go into a public restroom and um and like you're using the bathroom, uh, you'll notice there's no toilet paper, and so you'll be looking around, and somebody will say from the next stall, "Do you want red paper or blue paper?" And if it you can't answer it correctly, if you answer red 
paper and they'll find your body um sort of a, a mangled bloody corpse uh, if you say blue paper they find you strangled to oh death. my so. god you, you can't win that there's no good ending <laughs> it's no win i'd be like, like you know I'm what fine. i don't need to wipe i'm good <laughs> say, I'm never- <laughs> i'll just wash when i get home <laughs> that's the only way go solution. behind the next gas station and just that's, just yep. a building wherever i'm not going in a bathroom it doesn't ever, matter what again. battle you just did just get out of that bathroom i've got some leaves i'm good <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Corey. Oh uh, God, let's yes. definitely do this again. Oh, so much for fun. For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Ghostly Talk. <laughs>